Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 9, 1 through 13. Then he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come into power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. This is the word of the Lord. now boom all right so there's some scriptures that that when i'm getting ready to preach i'm like oh that's pretty straightforward there's some scriptures when i'm getting ready to, to preach i'm like maybe not so much so <laughs> i feel like this is one of those that we're going to have to do some work to understand uh what the lord is is going to tell us i kind of want to start with this idea uh there's a scripture in in second timothy three uh in, in verse five and it's talking about about uh the last days it says there will be people holding to a form of godliness, although they denied its power. And that text in, in context is talking about people who have claimed the name of Jesus, but there is no, uh, you, there's no evidence of the power of Jesus in their life that has changed the way they act. So they still act crazy. They still, they still act like, like they don't know Jesus, but they're claiming Jesus, and functionally they are denying his power to change. Now, the reality is, even if we're not in that boat, sometimes we feel like we want the power to change, but we don't feel like we can get it. So the question that, that I want to pose today and answer with this, this text is this. Where is the power to change? We all want to be made more like Christ. We want to, to have our character transformed to look like him. So where do we go in order to get that? I would say that this text is teaching us is that when we see the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ, that's what saves us and changes us. When we see the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ, that's what saves us and changes us. And you're asking yourself, how did you get that from the text? We're about to figure it out right now. All right, so let's ask the Lord for help. 
Lord Jesus, please help us to understand your word. Your word says that every, every bit of your word is profitable. It is for our good. It is for our strengthening. It is for our equipping and in, in our conviction, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you would use this passage to teach us this morning. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we're weak. And would you have your way in the preaching of your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So verse 1, it starts, it says, Then he, this is Jesus, then he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Now, I don't know exactly what they thought that meant, and I don't know exactly what you thought that meant, but I'm going to give you a hint on what it means. Because he says, some of you guys are not going to die until you see the kingdom of God come with power. So here's something that it can't mean. It can't mean the second coming of Christ, because he said the people who were standing in front of them were not going to die before they had seen it. I think the clues in the text point to the fact that, that they are seeing the kingdom of God when they see Jesus in his glory, when he's transfigured, when, when he's radiant with the glory of God, that is them seeing, seeing the kingdom of God. It's really interesting. We pray this prayer every week where we say, your kingdom come. And I want to look at this text. So when we're praying that, how can this text help us understand what we are praying? See, the kingdom of God is revealed when people see Jesus clearly. When people see Jesus for all of his glory, all of his worth, all of his beauty, when they see him clearly, that is the kingdom of God coming. That makes me want to pray that prayer even more. When I'm saying, Lord, let your kingdom come, I'm saying, Lord, on my street, on my block, in my community, would you help everybody see Jesus the way that he truly is in all of his glory and all of his power? Is that not demonstrated in salvation? Look, there was a time when I, I did not walk with the Lord, and there was a time that I did. And what's interesting is I don't think I got new information. I grew up uh, around uh, church. I, I grew up knowing something about the scriptures, knowing something about the gospel. But there was a moment in time when the glory of Jesus was revealed to me. And I thought, oh my goodness, this Jesus and his grace and his love. And by seeing his grace and his love, it transformed me to someone who I'm like, well, that's interesting news. So, oh my goodness, do you see it? Oh, do we not want this? I want this more and more in my life. I want this more and more in my, my community. I want the kingdom of God to come in power, meaning I want people to see Jesus clearly. And we need his revelation for that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit for that. You know, another definition for the kingdom of God is, is, is that it's the rule and reign of God. I'll pay, I say it in my words. What would it look like for Jesus to be functionally king on my street. That's the kingdom of God, right? If, if, if Jesus is functioning as king on my block, that's the, king, that's the kingdom of God coming. And what's interesting is we see in this text that if we see Jesus properly, we would want to obey and submit to him. Right? The, the, the three uh, disciples that are there, they're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> look at this Jesus. And then this cloud comes and it says, obey, 
obey him. When we see Jesus for who he is and all his love and mercy and power, the appropriate response is, okay, what you want me to do? Let me follow you. You know, some theologians say that, that the transfiguration, that's the, 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 the theological word for this text where Jesus, he, his appearance changed. Uh, they say that the transfiguration is actually a more accurate picture of Jesus's than when he's not transfigured. That the more accurate picture of Jesus is this text. Because in, in reality, Jesus humbled himself and he put on flesh and he hid his glory. The text says that when people saw Jesus, they just saw another man. But in this moment, the disciples were able to see who he truly was. And I'm sure that Peter, James, and John never saw Jesus the same. Even after, after the appearance was regular, I bet they're like, y'all remember when we saw, y'all remember when he was glowing? That was crazy. That's who he really is. That demonstrates more, more accurately the power and the authority of Jesus. And I tell you what, man, we need God's grace to unveil our eyes, to see what's actually there. I think that's what's happening. It's not, it's not that, that Jesus became something that he was not. It's that they saw who he was. That, like, whoa, whoa, this isn't just a regular dude walking around. This isn't just a great teacher. This is, this is the glory of God. This is the majestic one. This is the one who created everything. We need God's grace to unveil our eyes. So that when we see Christ, we don't just see another dude, but that we see God's glory. When Jesus made that promise, there are some standing here today who will not die before they see God's, uh, God's kingdom come in power. If I can just be a little selfish, I'm like, can I be for me too? <laughs> Maybe there are some here who might see God's kingdom come in power. That's what we should pray for. Look at verses Two and three, it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Listen, again, this is showing us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. That little, that little note, after six days, that timeline of six days shows us that Jesus is fulfilling what he said. If you read the gospel of, of, of Mark, all the timelines, like, and then this happened, and then this happened, it's never like a solid fixed time. And the author is Mark is saying, hey, I want you to connect. Remember what Jesus said? You're going to see the kingdom of God? And six days later, it happened. And Jesus went up to this high mountain. And in the Old Testament, people would go to high mountains to meet with the divine. The author of Mark is telling us, listen, Jesus is divine. When you go up on a mountain with Jesus, you see God. And even his appearance has these elements of scriptural imagery. Listen, listen to what it says about God in Psalm 104. It says about God, he wraps himself in light as if it were a robe. That's what it says about God. And here's Jesus appearing as if his robe is light. What is that supposed to connect the dots for us? That Jesus is who? God. Or give this in Daniel 7, 9, it says, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. That's another name for God. And it says, his clothes were white like snow. 
that when God sits on his throne and you see God seated on his throne, there is such purity. And then when you see Jesus, you see his clothes that are white, that, that can't nobody wash it and look that white is what it's saying. So who is Jesus in the text? He's God. Or right, listen to what, what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.3. It says, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. If you see something that looks exactly like what it represents, then you see the original thing. He's saying, listen, when you see Jesus in his glory, you are beholding the glory of God. That's what he wants, like, look, look, the gospel writer wants you to see Jesus is not just a mere man. He's not just a cool guy. He's not just the most powerful man. He is God in the flesh. And then something else happens. Elijah and Moses, if you look at verse 4, it says, Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. In case you don't know your Bible timeline, uh, Elijah and Moses were both dead, okay? So, so they were like, whoa, there's some dead people here. What's going on? Listen, I think this is teaching us that Jesus is the culmination. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament is pointing to. The question should be, why are Moses and Elijah there? They, they've been dead for a hot minute. You know, what's going on? Moses and Elijah represented the Old Testament. See, Moses represented the law. The law. When God gave his commands, do this and live. Moses gave those commands in the first five books of the Old Testament, and he gave this principle. If we obey God, we'll live. Our life will be good. And Elijah represents the prophets, and the prophets are, are really commentating on the law. And you want to know the commentary? The commentary is, you have not obeyed God. <laughs> That's a commentary. You didn't do it. But God still plans to forgive you and rescue you. So, so, so listen, the, the, the law points to Jesus. Listen, when, when, we, 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 when we look at the commands of the law, summarizing the Ten Commandments, and we go, who has done that? Who has actually lived that out? We can look to Jesus as the one who fulfills the law. And then we go, okay, well, in the prophets, they talk about how we failed, but, but God is going to forgive and to save us. Through who? Jesus. Jesus is the one fulfilling what all the prophets are saying. What I love is that he's not just doing that for him, he does it for us. See, Jesus obeyed the law on our behalf. We couldn't do it. Nobody that you ever met has obeyed God at every point. But there is one who always obeyed, always loved God the Father, always loved those around us. And he obeyed not just for him, but for us in our place. And not only did he obey in our place, he, he fulfills the, prophet, the prophets because he is a prophetic king who dies for the sins of his people. Why are Moses and Elijah there? It's to teach us that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Not only that, Moses and Elijah both had, had seen these physical manifestations of the glory of God. 
Like one time, uh, Moses said to God, God, can I see your face? He's like, if you see my face, you're going to die. But I'll let you see my back. That's the true story. All right. And so, so, God, and so God passes by Moses, and he sees this, this glorious, like, physical representation of God. And then we have Elijah. He sees God in a whirlwind and a still, small voice. Listen, the author's saying, listen, both Moses and Elijah have seen physical manifestations of God. So why are they there? So that you would know who Jesus is that he is the physical manifestation of the nature of God. Now, I know this isn't, we're in theological waters, but let's keep going, y'all. Let's keep going. The glory of God should lead us to obedience. Look at verse 5, 6, 7, 8. He says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I love the, the verse 6 because he didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> He was scared. He didn't know what he was talking about. Verse 7, a cloud appeared overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So let's, let's, there's a lot of stuff going on. Let's break it down. What's going on? Why did Peter want to build shelters or tents? What, why was that his motivate? Like, oh, this is cool. Let's build a tent. Like, <laughs> that's not like our natural inclination, right? Listen, what, the reason he wanted to build a shelter or a tent is because in the Old Testament, that, those are representations of God's presence. And he's going, I think God is here. Let's build a tent. Because isn't that what you do? When God's here, that's what we do. And so, so he wanted to stay there. He wanted to be in God's presence where God was. And he wanted to kind of soak in that, right? If you, if you were seeing that, wouldn't you want to kind of just sit and just, let me just see this for a minute. What's going to happen? Somebody else is there going to come back at the lab? I don't know. He just kind of wanted to sit there. He wanted to, to, to kind of bask in it. And he wanted to say, I'm recognizing that, that God is here. But what's interesting is in this moment, Peter did not realize the uniqueness of Jesus. How many tents did he want to build? Three. Three. He wanted to build three. There was only one who was God in the flesh. Yeah? There was only one who was manifesting God's glory. See, Jesus is the unique beloved son of God, and the father made sure that was clear. Right? Peter's like, let's build three. And, and the father's like, that, that one. <laughs> That's my son. You listen to him. When all is said and done, after the Father spoke, all that was left was Jesus. Jesus is superseding the Old Testament law. He's the culmination. He's the one that we go to. We don't go to Moses or Elijah or somebody else that we think is close to God. We go to Christ and Christ alone. And when we understand the glory of Jesus, the proper response is obedience to him. Now, what I see uh, in, Peter, in Peter's reaction, and I see something good. He wants to, like, sit there like, wow, this is cool. Can we just sit here a minute? He wanted to commemorate an experience that he had with God. But I think what God is making clear is that if you have an experience with God, your reaction is not commemoration or just sitting there. If you have an experience with God, your reaction is what? Obedience. Obedience. We, we, we live, there's, 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 y'all, we live in a Christian culture that likes to, to have experiences with God and want to have spiritual highs, and that's cool, I'm with that, but, but, but what I think is missing is if you have an experience with God, the fruit of that is not that you talked about the experience. The fruit of the experience is that now you obey him, right? 
So if you have had some, some close encounter with God in the Word, some close encounter with God in prayer or in worship or what have you, I, you can tell me about that and I'll be like, that's cool. But what I would really want to see is, okay, I've experienced him. Now I will obey what he's telling me to do. We don't just bask in the experience of his glory. We obey him in whatever he is saying. All right, then we get to the last part of the text. It's, and this is, it gets a little confusing. Let me read it. We're going to explain this. Verse, verse 9 through 13, it says, As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one that what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restore all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it was written about him. That's probably the most confusing part of the passage, yeah? What, what, what is going on here? Well, let's, let's explain it. What's going on? First, Jesus wanted to make sure that the whole gospel was told. If you're following along, what just happened what happened before this passage is Jesus said, I want you to understand that I'm going to suffer, that I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again. So it was really, like, why, it was really confusing. Why are they confused? He just told them that. Six days before, he's like, listen, by the way, I'm going to die. I'm going to raise it. Why are they, what is he talking? He just, he just very clearly told them. And I, I, the reason that he didn't want people, want them to tell uh, others before he risen ris from the dead is because he wanted to know that the gospel is not simply about the glory and the power of Jesus. It's about that he laid that down to die for us. A gospel that's just about the glory and power of Jesus that doesn't talk about his humble sacrifice is not a gospel. And he wanted to make sure you need to tell the whole thing. I know you would, you would be really excited to tell about my glory, but you need to tell about my sufferings too. Because that's what saves people. And so then they have this discussion about where's Elijah? What, what is going on? What are they talking about? Religious scholars at that time, they had seen these prophecies about Elijah coming before the Messiah. This is Malachi 4, 5. It says, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah for the great and terrible day of the Lord. So they're like, if, if God's going to come back, if he's going to save us, Elijah's going to be somewhere because it says it in Malachi. But the scripture says that that was fulfilled in John the Baptist. Listen to Luke 1, 17. And he will go before him. This is about John the Baptist. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. See, the disciples were confused because they thought that when Elijah comes back that his mission would be successful and people would be ready to receive Jesus. The reality is some people did repent when John the Baptist preached, but a lot of people did. And this teaches us this very important truth. We need more than instruction for change. Elijah came preaching, John the Baptist came preaching, and that was not enough. We need more than, than instruction for change. They didn't understand the necessity of a changed heart. They didn't understand the necessity of a Savior who died in their place. Here's the reality. If you go around only telling people to obey God, you want me to tell you what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. 
Not to, because you and me, here's really the craziest thing, is, is you and me know intuitively what's right. We don't even have to argue about it. There might be some detail, but most of the time, everybody's in, in agreement. It's because the law is written on the heart. So, so what is going on here? He is showing that, that what we need is not someone just to instruct us like Elijah or someone to warn us like John the Baptist. We need somebody with the power to change us like Jesus Christ. See, we need to be transformed by the glory of God and not just instructed about what we ought to do. Now, here's the crux of the question. This is where we're going to make it nitty-gritty. All right. Wouldn't it be cool if we got to see what they did, right? Wouldn't that, like, like wouldn't that, okay, well, we want to see the glory of God. Jesus, you're going to do the thing like you did? Like, it, it, what's going on? How, how can we be transformed by the glory of God if we did not have the same experience as Peter, James, and John? I want you to listen to Peter teaching us in 2 Peter. He says this. He says, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What is he talk? He's talking about what we just talked about. He's like, I saw it. I saw his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father with the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He's reminiscing. I remember when I saw it. He says, we ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Then he takes this a different turn. He says, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's a bit complex. I want you to understand what he compared and contrasted. He says, we saw Jesus transfigured, and that changed us. He didn't then go, well, y'all can't be changed because you ain't see Jesus transfigured. That's not what he said. He says, we saw Jesus transfigured. You have the word of the gospel. And he puts that on the same plane. He said, we saw Jesus transfigured, and you heard the word of the gospel. And by hearing the word of the gospel, there is light rising in your heart. You see how he's comparing? He's like, I saw this light when I, when I looked at Jesus when he was transfigured. But you don't need to feel bad because you didn't see that. Because you have this prophetic word in the gospel that when you hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit opens your heart, that same light that we saw on Jesus comes into your heart. Listen, we can, we can look at the story and just feel real like, I wish I was there. Right? Man. And Peter says, you don't got to feel like that. You don't got to feel like that. That when you hear the gospel preached, and here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The law says do this. The gospel just tells you what happened. When you hear what God has done for you in Christ, it is as if you were on the mountain beholding the glory of God. You want more proof? I'll tell you. Here it is. This is, this is 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is what Paul says. He says, For we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord. So he's saying, listen, when you behold the glory of God, you are transformed. And you want to go, cool, Paul, where can I see that? Are we going to the Mount of Transfiguration? 
are about to see Jesus light up. He goes on to say in the next chapter, it says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of, the, out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts, listen, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He's saying, you want to be transformed by glory. And I'm sure if they, listen, the, the transfiguration is a common story. They're like, that would be dope if I saw the glory of God, right? Like, I, they're shining and stuff. Maybe I want to build a tent too. I don't know. Listen, listen, I, that would be really cool if I saw that. And he's saying, listen, but let me tell you where you see the glory of God. You see the glory of God in the gospel of Christ Jesus. So he's saying, similarly, like when, when, when you see the transfiguration and this brightness and this miraculous thing happens, when you, when, when you remember that and hear that story, the same thing happens when you hear the gospel preached. That you see the glory of God and his gospel, his, his glory rises in your heart. We see the glory of God in the Word of God, and we are transformed by it. Now, I know I'm a church history buff, so I'm going to tell y'all a story. One of, one of my favorite uh, church history guys, uh, John Wesley. John Wesley, he preached the gospel all over America, all over uh, uh, England, and he left the whole denomination in his wake. But the story of his salvation is very interesting. See, he had, he had seen, he had been on this boat ride with these people called the Moravians, and they were really confident in the Lord, and he realized he didn't have that confidence, and he started to question, do I even know the Lord? Like, what's going on? And he was in this, in this real depressed state, and one night he said, I'm, I'm going to just go to church. He's like, I don't even really want to go to church, but I'm going to just go. I'm going to go sit down and go to church. And he's sitting down, and he's listening to someone read an introduction to the book of Romans. No joke. They're talking about the gospel. So him in his dejected state, feeling like he hasn't been transformed, that he doesn't have confidence like these other people did, when, they, when that person begins to read about the gospel publicly, John Wesley said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. When, when they were talking about the gospel, something happened in me. Something changed in me. There, I, I felt something going on up in here. And from that day, he was not the same. Why? Because he was transformed by the glory of God revealed in the scriptures. Listen, I know we want experiences with God. I want all kinds of experiences with God. But don't leave that what's on the table right in front of you. If you want to experience God, you get in front of the scriptures and you say, God, reveal your glory to me. Maybe you've been around the scriptures for a while. You've been around preaching. You're like, I don't know, it really touched. Maybe you have a veil on your face. Maybe you can't see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Then, beloved, ask him. Listen, your word says, and the experience of church history says, that when I read your word, when I hear your word, that there is power in your word to transform me. And listen, some of y'all like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm looking at all y'all. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all didn't heard God's word and go, oh my goodness, it didn't change me. As if I saw the glory of Jesus in front of me. So beloved, what do we do? 
Listen, if we want to be transformed, if we don't want to have that, that looking like godliness, but it, don't act, it denies the power, if we want that, then let's look at Christ in the Word of God. Listen, listen, when you open God's Word, before you even start reading, would you just ask the Lord to open your eyes? Lord, you've made promises that when your word is in front of me, that you will reveal yourself to me. I can't make that happen, Lord, but you can. You can, Lord. So open my eyes so that I might encounter you in the scriptures. And crazily enough, Apostle Peter says that's like the transfiguration. That's like seeing what I saw if you see the word of God clearly. So we look for Christ as we read the scripture. And, and listen, that's, that's really why our, our service is structured in the way that it is, that I want to look at Christ together. Why, why, do, why do we confess our sins and receive assurance? Because I want you to see Christ. I want you to know that like though, though your sins uh, might be, be dirty, Christ washes them away with his blood. And when you get that, when you really get that, you are beholding the glory of God. And it's transformative. I was, uh, I was riding in the car with a, with a brother this week, and he was, he was confessing sin to me. And I don't know what people expect me to say when they confess sin. Maybe like give them like 10 steps, do this, that, another. But you know what I said? I quoted the same scripture we quoted. I said, brother, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the atoning sacrifice. Listen, if you want power to change, you meditate on that gospel. Not about fixing yourself. You meditate on the truth of God's word. Listen, why, why, do we have, why, why is preaching central in our gathering? Because I'm reading the text and I'm saying, well, it seems to me that both Peter and Paul are saying, if you preach God's word, the light is going to come on in people's hearts. Oh, beloved, we can expect that. When we come to God's word, we come to hear God's word and say, listen, Jesus, just like you was all shiny on the mountain, would you shine in my heart today? Would you change me today? And then we get to, to, to enjoy Jesus as we take communion every week. The beautiful thing about communion is not simply that we eat and drink something, but listen to the words. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for your forgiveness. If you behold that and understand that properly, you are beholding the glory of God. So we might not be able to go on a mountain to see Jesus revealed to us. But we can open up the word and we can get together and we can hear that word explained and preached. And there is a promise behind that that we will experience God, and that we will be changed. So, beloved, seeing the glory of God revealed in Christ Jesus through the scriptures, that's what saves, that's what changes us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your, your word. Your word is, is glorious, and it is it is good and, and, and it is powerful. It reveals to us the glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just, I just want to pray, Lord, if there's someone in this room, someone who's hearing this, who, who that experience just sounds foreign. 
Lord, would you open up their hearts to receive the gospel? Would they have an experience uh, like John Wesley, that when they're hearing your word, that, that their heart would be warmed, that they realize that your word is not mere information, but that it comes with power, power to save and power to transform. Lord, we come to you, we're needy. We can't change ourselves, but Lord, you can. And you promise to do it through your word. So save us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.